Uh, so we're back uh, with our 11th, I think it's 11th, 11th, yeah, 11th episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast. Uh, the first infrastructure podcast to shine a light on what we love to call utility strategy. Uh, as we all know, build utilities pose an enormous risk to any infrastructure project and create extreme uncertainty amongst the different stakeholders. The thing is that with the right utility strategy, we're able to mitigate that risk and streamline our project, which is what our podcast is all about, uh, sharing and gaining all kinds of insights that will enable just that, helping project managers, utility coordinators, estimators, mappers, planners, designers, engineers, and basically any other stakeholder overcome the challenges of their utilities in our right of way. Um, to help us do just that, we have here with us today, uh, Dr. Ahmed El Bayati, uh, who is going to help us break down the challenges of the, of, uh, uh, the solutions that we've put together as an industry around buried utilities. Um, so um, a bit about uh, Dr. El Bayati. Uh, he's the founding director of the Construction Safety Research Center, the CSRC, and an assistant professor in the Department of Civil and Architectural Engineering at uh, Lawrence Tech University. Uh, he has contributed massively to the construction industry's understanding of how to prevent damage to subsurface infrastructure through, uh, he's done this through several published peer-reviewed studies. Uh, he has even recently published a book about the one-call systems uh, through the American Society of Civil Engineers. Uh, and he's done this together with Lewis Panther, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Dr. El Bayati, uh, Ahmed, I hope it's, uh, it's okay that I call you Ahmed. Um, yeah, so without further ado, uh, let's dive right into it. Tell us, tell us about yourself. Give us a brief. So first thing I would like to, uh, to thank you and uh, uh, for this opportunity, I really appreciate it. I watched most of your podcast before and you uh, really... Wow, I really uh, appreciate that. Yeah, most of them. Uh, they are very good, to be honest. When you I, say most of them, which ones did you skip? <laughs> <laughs> but all of them are good, and there are a lot of good information, and I really appreciate uh, this type of um, interviews because we need more of these because this is the way that we can really improve the overall process. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, the invite, and I'm happy to be with both of you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. As for me, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, teaching construction safety here at LTU and I'm uh, trying to uh, improve the overall process when it comes to construction and damages or uh, damage prevention is one of these processes that we, I think there is need to uh, focus on. Now, is this something you stumbled into or is this something you've always had a passion for? So, no, to be honest, I started as a, as a construction safety Professional, so I was working with the city of Kalamazoo here in, in Michigan as a safety coordinator. I did my PhD uh, all about construction safety. Uh, but later on, while I was working in, uh, in Western Carolina University in North Carolina, I, I was very lucky to be introduced to my dear friend and colleague, Louis Panzer, who is the, um, the executive director of North Carolina 811 in 2017. Louis is a damage prevention leader who doesn't fear change. And this is very important because people who will make change, those who doesn't fear it, otherwise they will come on the place, do nothing and leave, retire, and everything is the same. So Sounds he is like a we real- to have him on the podcast. Yes, I, I believe so. <laughs> so yeah. he doesn't fear change uh, when there's need to improve the overall process. And because of that, we did and we have conducted uh, several important uh, studies uh, about this topic. Uh, so since 2000, 2017, I started working on this topic. And I believe since then, we learned a lot. Uh, Louis and I, we learned a lot about the topic itself. <coughs> so so tell, us a bit about, uh, tell us a bit about the challenges of 811, like the, the one call system. Well, what have you found? What have you discovered? 
So basically, we did uh, research studies in North Carolina and national survey and interviews uh, with excavators and locators as well, who do the locate uh, through the Winkle system. And basically, the main three challenges or shortcomings within the one call system. Uh, the three, the three are. First one is they don't locate the private or uh, locate uh, private utilities, and because of that, construction firms, utility, yeah, construction firms, and maybe even homeowners, they need to hire a private locating firm to locate the private uh, utilities. And the second two challenges are the inaccurate locate and the uh, uh, delay time. So most states, they have the, they, they're supposed to provide the positive response, meaning they, they, they should locate utilities, mark physically mark the utilities within three business days. Uh, business days, but unfortunately, uh, some of locates get more, uh, take more, take, yeah, take more than three business days. So these are the two main challenges within the system right now. So first one is they don't locate the private uh, utilities. This is by itself. The other two, two challenges within the system is the inaccurate locates and the locates, the fact that locates take longer than the three business days. And these are the challenges. And we are within the construction industry. Normally the, the time, the schedule is very, very important. So we cannot really wait. So if it's three days, we need it to be done within three days because we have subcontractors need to come to the job site. We have a lot of uh, timeline, liquidated damages at the end. So uh, this is one of the challenges that should be addressed. Now, when you're talking about those three different segments, it's really interesting to understand, uh, did you actually look into root causes and you know, look into uh, cause and effect and the economies of scale? Uh, I'll give you an example. If we're talking about the three-day timeline, as we know, there are different seasons of uh, utility locates. So, for example, in the middle of the winter, uh, if you, especially in Michigan, you're not going to be getting a lot of locates. So how would a company deal with having that massive staff you know, uh, during the, uh, the spring, the summer, and, the, uh, and, and fall, and then all of a sudden not have any, you know, what are they going to do with them? They're, they're going to you know, keep them around for a good measure? So yeah, it's, this is... Yeah, this is this is one of the challenges within the locating, I believe, industry. They need to address this. Uh, we did not really check, like we did not address how locating uh, industry deal with this issue. But when we study the inaccurate locates, for example, and we try to find what are the causes of them. So the first cause, based on what we found from the locators and excavators as well, and I have here some papers, so because I don't remember everything. Uh, here showing the first thing is the short workforce shortcomings. So even within locating industry, they don't have even uh, uh, enough locators to do the work. And wow. we have some locators, they do whatever, 60 locates per day, which is a lot, huge. Wow. So this is will contribute to less accurate, right? The other thing is, for example, the gas industry, they always have the tracer over the gas line, right? Tracer wire. And these tracer wire normally, normally con during construction, uh, construction contractors, unfortunately, they just break them. But because this is not damage, they don't report it. So this tracer wire get broke, no one reported, and they uh, put the dirt back, meaning in the future, no one will be able to locate this gas line again because there's no tracer wire, right? So this, this is also, uh, this is the second reason based on locators tracer wire is not there anymore the but third that was one on, sorry that was only on, on non-conductive so for example a steel exactly. main would exactly. still be uh, conductive but yeah. it's only on the the pvc the pe and the non-conductive gas mains and gas the gas are a high risk utility so yeah. we also classify utilities into high risk and lower risk for example cable tv they are not high risk but gas is really high risk if someone damage a gas line. So this is a, an issue with the gas line. Number actually, three, uh, I, I would, I would actually negate that. Right now, during the pandemic, cable TV was very high risk. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, no, absolutely. Absolutely. you don't know what the kids are going to do. 
no Wi-Fi. Ah, there's some. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, fab, uh, fiber optic is also expensive, so it uh, should, should be considered a high risk as well. The third reason, the third cause, based on locators, uh, was the inaccurate maps. Inaccurate maps. The maps provided by uh, by utility operators, utility owners, as build drones are not accurate, and this is a, a huge problem. And uh, a, a research team from New Zealand, they just published an article uh, a few weeks ago, also mentioned that in New Zealand is the same issue with as built drones. They are not accurate. So this is one of the issues. Uh, then the fourth one we have, uh, there's well, let, let, some, let I mean, me let me uh, let, let me ask you about that. Um, yes. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? Like, what are the locators saying about the ad build? So the loca locators, they don't really have an, they don't know what's going on. Why these maps are not accurate? Me, I also I don't know. This is need to be studied. Uh, someone need to investigate why this is issue. Why 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 we are having this issue? But this is a real issue. Uh, and I, uh, one of the studies, I spent one day with a locator. So I spent one day with a locator sitting on, on, on his truck, and I, I was seeing how they do it. Yeah. So what they do when they receive a ticket, the first thing the first thing they do, they will look on the maps that are drawings that they have from the owners. And yeah. if the maps show there is no conflict within this uh, within this excavation request, they directly hit a clear. They clear the ticket, meaning there is no conflict. So yep. the first thing locators use is the drawings provided to them, as built the drawings provided to them by the uh, owners and yep. operators. And if they are not accurate, that's it. Done. We have They're not doing a visual verification as well while going out, walking the site, taking note, nothing. No, because, again, if they have 100 tickets every day, they don't have time, really. So no. they start with this filtering process. This is, there's no conflict, clear, 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 based on drawings they have. So and, uh, I'm going to ask you another question just on the on the people each you rode with. Were these contract locators or were these in-house locators? And uh, is there a difference? In-house locators. Okay. And, they should be different because those in-house locators, they're supposed to receive uh, more detailed drawings yeah. than uh, locate uh, or contract locators. Oh, that's interesting. And just to, to define the difference for everyone, an in-house locator still works for the original firm. So, for example, if it's uh, Excel Energy or a Southwest Gas or you know, Bell Canada or you know, AT&T, that would be someone who actually works for the utility firm and is locating on its behalf and is actually a, an employee of that firm. Contract locating is they are actually delegating the entire locate process out to a, a third-party firm that is that is their sole occupation is locating uh, on a contract basis. So it, very, very defined industry as well and, and an industry which has grown within North America in the last 30 years. Sure. It's really uh, grown and, and flourished and now we're actually getting to that point where uh, we'll call them the cracks in the sidewalks we're beginning to show as we're as we're uh, going forward. So yeah. sorry, continue. Yeah, my, yeah my we cut you off. Yeah, what was uh, it? Was another <laughs> point number four? Yeah. Number four. Sometimes the locators they go to the uh, to the job site and they they have no access mm. to the job site because there's something going on in the job site. And for 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 sure, the fifth element is the limitation of locating. So. All locating equipments come with limitation. So there is no locating equipment will tell you this is 100% accurate. So at the end of the day, if we solve everything, still there's some uh, probability that the locate are not accurate. And if we look at these causes, we will see some of them are not really re related or because the, of the one call system. One call system has nothing to do with them. You see, so these, some of them, even if you're going to hire a private locating firm, for example, you still, you're going to face some of these. Some of these will also contribute to inaccurate locate, even if you can hire uh, a private locating firm, not uh, the one call system. And just to define the one call system is not the actual firm that goes out and does the locating, but the mm -hmm. one call system is just a notification center exactly. notifying all the different parties. 
It's just a communication channel between excavators yeah. and utility owners uh, or operators. Yes, true. Excellent. And same, and same. These reasons also contribute to uh, the locate time, the delay locating time. Plus, sometimes excavator when they call one call center, uh, they just give them. Uh, they don't uh, really provide an accurate limit of where they want the locator to come and mark. So locators, uh, excavators normally should provide wide lining, wide lining for locators. So when locators come, they know exactly where to work. Uh, I, I hate cool. to ask you this. How would they yes. provide white lining in an in a environment like yours in Michigan where there's snow on the ground? <laughs> there you go. Very good. Very good. This is one of the issues also, te the temporary nature of marks. Mm -hmm. So this is a two-way uh, issue from locators and even from excavators and even from locators when they come and place the marks in Michigan, there's no all these what's going on right now. It's a temporary nature. After three days, four days, there's nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> this is all contributing factor or, or shortcomings of the current process. However, these are not the one call system uh, shortcomings. It's the overall process. So everyone, it's a shared responsibility. So everyone is responsible for a little bit, right? Owners, utility owners should provide uh, more accurate maps, uh, excavators should communicate the location of their excavation uh, and so forth. So it's a shared responsibility process and everyone should do their, uh, their, uh, their job right in order to make the overall system working. Now, this, this study was in North Carolina, though, correct? Uh, for, let me remember, for excavators, I believe, yes. For locators, we... We ask uh, uh, locators nationwide, not just from North Carolina. Interesting. So I'm going to ask you another question. Is there also one call abuse where uh, companies are calling in entire jobs just so they can understand what's coming up yes. and uh, for the bidding process? Yes. And this is, we call it uh, system noise. So there is noise within the system and all this noise also contribute to at least the locating, the, uh, the locate time will take longer than it's supposed. And there's a lot of this, uh, for example, in, in my last uh, last article that I published again with Lewis, Lewis and I, we published, we talk about this. And we see there are few contractors, they just renew the request every 20 day, every 21 days. So they bought a request for the whole project, maybe 50 miles. I'm not sure how many miles, a lot of miles there, okay? And there's no way they will be able to do this within the time frame, right? So what they do to ensure they have a valid locate, a valid request all the time, valid excavation request, they just update it every month. Update it. And this is a lot of load on the system itself. And this is system noise and not good, not good. Plus, is it also well? Is it also uh, engineering request per se? The term yes, disguising. This is, okay. This is exactly what I want to say, uh, because the construction um, locate comes with physical marks, while the design locate not. Some design architectural engineering firms they place a, an excavation locate while they only do the design. Why? For two reasons: to get physical marks plus to get a response within three days, three business days. Because the design locate sometimes takes longer than three business days, maybe nine days, I think, or 12 days. So this is, again, a system noise that contribute to uh, a longer locate times. And again, it's short, shared responsibility. So those need to understand that while doing this, they will really uh, uh, negatively influence the overall process of one call system. So uh, a collective responsibility through everyone to actually yes. use the system correctly uh -huh. and and really understanding that my actions are actually going to affect my neighbor and myself down the line. Very good. Very nice. Yes, absolutely true. Interesting. And based on this, let me show you something. Let me tell something. Based on this, we like uh, we normally do the North Carolina uh, 811 damage report every year. Dirt. And, 
And based on this, we have a different uh, uh, categorization of causes than CGA. You know, DIRT report, they have their own uh, uh, categorization of cause. Uh, for example, they don't have nothing about utility owners' uh, insufficient practices. But we, within North Carolina 811 report, we have something about utility owners' responsibility because inaccurate maps is their, is their um, responsibility, right? So because of, and we have something called general industry practices, like tracer wires, abandoned lines, these all the general industry practice. This is not the excavators uh, uh, insufficient practice, not the locators insufficient practice. This is a general practices. So again, based on this understanding, we have different categorization of the causes of inaccurate maps and the longer delay time of locates and consequences, and as a result, the damages. We have a different categorization of uh, direct causes of damages, not root causes. They are all uh, direct causes. What's interesting, I think, is like when we talk to project owners and when we talk to, uh, to GCs, it's pretty obvious that the mm -hmm. problems are that the problems can be fixed if there is a real strategy around utilities at the very early stages of the project. Sure. Like if an excavator hits a utility, there, there have been so many faults along the way in the project before it even got to, to the excavator. Absolutely, and, yes. And, and I, think, I think like, and this is, like, this is a lot of what this podcast is about, is how do we find the right uh, the right SOPs and the right technologies and the right ways to solve the problem as early as possible in the process. And like saying that, I was wondering, what is the feedback that you're getting about this type of attitude from the locators and from, uh, from the excavators? Because like just to take the locators for an example, a locator that has 60, 60 calls a day like if if the the plans of the project or the the uh, were done would I don't want to say correctly but were done wisely in the the early phases there wouldn't be sixty locate uh, uh, sixty requests per locator like because because the the plan would have been the the uh, the infrastructure would have been planned in a way where uh, it doesn't interact with so many utilities. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And this is exactly why we call them direct cause, not root causes. Because it's there's it's not must be addressed during the design, during the early phases of project. It's too late to come and address these utility conflicts during the construction. Too late. And this will lead to a lot of delays, a lot of maybe utility re relocations and so forth. So again, the best way to address the utility. Uh, underground, especially underground utilities, is during the design phase. And uh, however, uh, again, we are working right now on a study about private locating firms, and we ask few locating firms and tell them, okay, who, when you guys get hired, uh, at what stage of project you, you get hired in the project? And based on the, I'm not sure if you can see this, based on the uh, what we have, mostly during the construction phase. So mostly they get hired. If those are private locating firms. Mostly get hired during the construction phase, not the design phase. So this is again, we there is there is a lack of education about how to manage uh, underground utilities, and this is clear. There is a lot there is a lot of work need to be done to educate the owners uh, about the importance of. Uh, managing under, uh, underground utilities during the early phases or during the er early phase, at least the design phase of construction projects. Otherwise, it's too late during the construction. Too late. What can we do as an industry to to incentivize the project owners to first of all, like that? There's an aspect of of doing the work and, and mapping their their assets, right, and get making sure that uh, that the locations that they have where their assets are accurate. There's that element first. The second element is how do we get them uh, to 
to make this data more more accessible. Yeah, I, I think the only thing we have right now is education, through the education. Plus, if we can modify a little bit the damage prevention law in each state. Like, I believe that during the first uh, uh, first first interview, you guys talked about Arizona damage prevention law. And in Arizona damage prevention law right now, there's something about abandoned lines. The utility owners still have to... Uh, uh, to locate their abandoned lines, if it's I'm not sure if after 19 something 1985 or 1992, this is very good. For example, in Michigan, the damage prevention law there is nothing about abandoned lines, nothing on it. While this is a very important uh, topic that must be addressed, so why it's not addressed until tomorrow by the Michigan? For example, this is just an example. I'm not pointing out, but just an example. My, by Michigan damage prevention law, I have no idea. I think there is need to benchmark the damage prevention law, at least in, in all over all the United States, and find what is really uh, currently held, then try to apply it all over the nation. Otherwise, we will keep doing same, same mistakes. Like abandoned lines, how come uh, abandoned lines are not addressed here in the state of Michigan? It's not, it's not acceptable to us, not acceptable. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question. Where do you have that balance between the ROI of actually collecting that information and, and locating that information? If a firm believes that their line is abandoned and not in use anymore, where do you actually put that balance? Because I know a lot of places as well will reuse those lines. So mm -hmm. are we actually tracking, are you talking about tracking ownership of all lines and then uh, keeping a registry right through and through. And where do we actually have our ROI on our return on investment of doing that? You know, is, is it that balance? Did you see it as a balancing point that Arizona, because they actually make uh, utilities maintain uh, the ownership and also maintain the, uh, the presence of their abandoned lines? You, is there a true difference? And is this something which can be used right across the States as a precedent? So, Return on investment, uh, I don't think there's any return on investment for the utility owner themselves because they will not they will not use it anymore, right? But there's a return for investment for the public because a lot of damages is because excavator, when they start excavating, for example, they found an abandoned line. They think it's the active one. Yeah. Then they start using the backhoe or their excavators, and as soon as they start using the uh, excavator, they damage the active one. And this is approved a lot of damages because the abandoned lines. So returning on investment uh, for keeping records for those will be uh, for the society. There will be a lot of benefit for the society to keep record of these. And sometimes if it's uh, if it's needed, they should. I think they should be removed as soon as you start not using them. You should be. You should remove them because we need this space for maybe newer version of of the of the I, utilities. I'm thinking the, utility. uh, mag, uh, the well. I, I'm thinking of the the magnanimity of that actual of that statement. Just imagine. Let's say you have an old LP, a low pressure system, low pressure gas system, and the low pressure gas system was with non-regulators. So the actual gas line went right into the house. There wasn't a meter outside. There wasn't a regulator outside. Yeah. Just imagine trying to remove thousands of thousands of uh, gas services so into that's, houses. That's yeah, it's it's just it's mind-boggling. And so let's yeah. let's keep them, but let's yeah. have a record for them. Let's keep them, but let's locate them at least. Or have now, when you're saying locate them again. Uh, Normally, normally, when you had those low pressures, you know the tracer wire, or actually the low pressure system actually had uh, CVTs, curve valve T's, mm -hmm. uh, main shutoffs, and once you know once uh, that line's no longer in use, a lot of them disappear. But I'm just trying to think; it, it's it's a real, it's a mind blowing task of trying yeah. to handle all the uh, abandoned and also, <laughs> wow. So and, and and yeah, we need to think about. We have to think yeah, about. Yeah. Because it's a challenge, it's an issue that must be resolved. Otherwise, we will keep um, damaging active utilities because we have these and we get confused which one is active, which one is not. 
So the damage prevention merry-go-round, around and round we go, and we keep on hitting the same thing again and again. Uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a yeah. challenge. It's, it's not an yeah. easy task. And again, there's need to, uh, for a shared responsibility, the whole industry need to sit down and think about these issues and how it's possible to address them as effective as possible, as cheaper also as possible. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's, it's there's an element this of, goes, yeah. sorry, Ophir, I cut, I cut you off I'm as, as usual. No, no, no. I was, I was just saying how incredible, you know, just, you know, where does it go? And it, it's, it's such a large task, but you know what? It, it, eventually we will get there. It's just a matter of perseverance. We have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and let I, me, I, let me, uh, I must emphasize that, uh, David, just give me, um, I must emphasize that despite the one cost system deficiencies or the current shortcomings, it's a crucial system and a very much needed system for two simple reasons. First thing, it's uh, the service is free. And as we all know, most of the construction firms in the United States are small construction firms. They lack resources. They don't have resources to hire private locating firms. This is the first reason. The second reason is the uh, one call system satisfies the legal requirements. So whatever, if you hire a private locating firms, if you hire a sue firm, you still, before you dig, you need to call. This is uh, a require, something required by law to do. So it's still a very a crucial system, very much needed system for these two reasons at least. Interesting. Uh, that's. I I never thought about it as the uh, the small mom and pop excavators, yeah. uh, and and as you're saying that that's a majority of the entire system. So that's really, you know, that's a, that's another thing to really think about how it affects them right through. I think. Yes, uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, it's okay. Like we've got the we we have this often where uh, uh, I ask a question or Phil asks a question at the same time whilst our speaker is trying to talk, and it's like. It's, it's how it is when we're doing this all remote. So, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I think what I'm getting at, and we, we talked about this in CGA in the last CGA in uh, October, I think it, uh, it was uh, their event in, uh, in Florida. And everyone was talking about this one source where all the data gets, gets put there. So the data from the locators and the data from the project owners and the utility owners and the GCs and everything is is in one place, and that's where, as an industry, we need uh, we need to go to. And like, even though that was kind of the mission statement, like it was up there on the uh, like on the slide, the main slide of kind of the goals of the industry. I can't remember really how they how they said it. Something about a one source GIS uh, database, something like that. Um, and yet. Like when you talk to the different stakeholders, when you talk to the locators, like like the locators aren't inclined of like just giving out the data that they worked for so hard. Yeah, the excavators, like if they find something, yeah, so well, it's, it's not my problem, like unless I need to pay for it. Yeah, I'm not gonna pass the, the data on. And like the, the, the utility owners, well, that really depends. Yeah, because we know, all know that if uh, the telecom guys aren't gonna share any of the any of their plans of where their fiber is buried. And some of the other utility owners, well, they, they may not even know, like if it's like one of those uh, old utilities, an old uh, water, water pipeline or, or something that was built kind of in the 1930s or whatever it is, they, they don't even know it's there. And we have all these stakeholders, all these stakeholders. Oh, hang on, David, hang on. Yeah. You missed one thing, the mega amalgamations of purchases of different companies and then oh, amalgamations yeah, the mergers, of data sets as well. Yeah, the mergers, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When, when the companies come together, like when two utility, utility owners and one buys, buys another one out, and then he kind of, the guy was responsible with the, for the records, who was kind of at the, at the basement of the building, like with all the, all the files kind of, well, he goes, he goes kind of finishes uh, his career. Uh, and like the data got lost in the merger and acquisition, then the, that, that data is lost. And basically what I'm saying is that uh, I think we're all uh, culprits, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, of this 
issue that we're dealing with as an industry because no one's taking no one's stepping up to take responsibility right because it's all a game of liability like when you when you have when you start a project who's going to be liable that's the first question like that that's why we have the different uh, uh delivery methods right because we want to know who's liable is it the pro is yeah, it the DOT? exactly is it the dot who's liable or is it the general contractor who's assuming liability and I think that until we all share, and I, I don't know, maybe this is like uh, some sort of utopia, what, what utopia, I'm about yeah. to say now. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like it's, it's not possible, okay? But I think that until we all share uh, an equal amount of, of, uh, of liability and we all, we all care about the issue, not like, of course, there's the... Um, there's a safety issue and there's the schedule and cost issue. And there's like, there's all these variables of the damages that, that this causes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that until we all kind of uh, put skin in the game to, to fix this and kind of do, do something that's uh, not required of us, but it's the right thing to do. This, this problem isn't going to be solved. True. I went on the rant. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. But, but let me tell you something here. So in the way we are trying to solve problems, normally there are two two ways, I think. The first thing is a touchy feeling. Do it for your family. Do it for your colleagues or something. This is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is not going to work. We need to yeah. work through the damage prevention law. Damage prevention law will tell, okay, you told the owner you need to do this. Excavators, you need to do this. And if you don't do it, there will be consequences. So we need to come up with measurable actions for all stakeholders to ensure that we're going to do it right in the first place. And how are we yeah. going to do it? Let's start. We have to start with the damage prevention law in each state. Yes, owners should educate themselves, uh, the project owners. They should be educated about the importance of the uh, managing underground utilities. They should understand there will be a, a huge return on investment if they start managing during the design phase, even during the planning phase, early in the project, by hiring maybe, even especially if the project is a complex project, they need to hire a private locating firms. It's, it's a necessity here to hire a private locating firm. However, Again, because most of the uh, construction firms in the United States are smaller construction firms, then we need to address this through the law and education. But first thing is through the damage, the state, the damage of provincial law, I think. This is, will be the first step. At what point do we get to uh, a, a factor of it is going to be law? Because as we know, almost every law and every regulation has been written in blood. How yeah. much... You know, how many people have to get hurt? How many, how many financial ruins do we have to go through before it actually becomes uh, one of those hot button issues? I think the number of damages talks for itself. So it's a, a huge issue and the industry recognizes this. So right now what we need, we need to speak up. And I think one of uh, this is this interview and uh, the other interviews are very important to really uh, bring the lawmaker attention about the necessity of free visit the current uh, damage prevention law. So damages, that we have a lot of damages every year, and we only really look at the reported damages. There are still some of damages, no one report them, right? It's clear, there is a clear, there's a clear issue. There's a clear challenge that must be addressed. Then we need to talk, we need to speak up uh, all uh, stakeholders, all individuals who are interested in this uh, field, in this topic, we need to speak up. And I think this will help Improve the overall process and revise uh, the current damage prevention uh, laws. I, it's really funny you said uh, about the, the damages. Uh, one thing I, I remember, I remember speaking to a backo operator and he was saying, a damage is anything I can't fix with duct tape. Uh, <laughs> and this is true. Sometimes uh, there is a, a huge pressure on uh, subcontractors to finish on time. So yeah. Sometimes if it's small damage, something, if they just can't go with it, they will yeah. do it. Unfortunately, this is not good, but this is the, the nature of our industry and we should be aware of it, right? Yeah. There's pressure, yeah. there is schedule pressure, they are subcontractor, they need to finish this job today so they can move to the next job tomorrow. Otherwise, they will not be able to provide food 
on their tables. So they have to do it. Yeah. It was just a scratch. I just, you know, just a little bit. <laughs> and again, as I told you, uh, the, the tracer wire, they, yeah. they do break them every day and that's it. Just leave it there. It's not a damage. It's a tracer wire. Yeah, but this will lead to future damages. This is not good. You have to report them. You have to call so they can come and fix this tracer wire, but no one, unfortunately, uh, not many do it. I remember being on a pipeline job several years ago, and they you know, they, they just scraped the yellow jackets, and they're going, "Well, no, I, I just removed, you know, I just I just took off a little bit of the coating. It's okay." And I'm going, "No, you know, that, that's the whole point of the pipe integrity. That's actually what maintains what maintains the, uh, uh, the cathodic. Yeah, so it's you know, I just touched a little bit of the yellow jacket. Here, I'll get some yellow tape and we'll put it back on. It'll be fine." Yeah, let's finish. Let's finish. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Guys, I, I got to tell you, I, I slightly disagree with uh, uh, with what you two are saying because I, I don't think it's just in the in the legislation. I think that <clears throat> until the stakeholders don't feel the return on investment or understand, like until we until we find a way to uh, talk in numbers in dollars about what what this means, what is the what what the risk is that they're assuming in money it's going to be very difficult to make a change. Because if you look at a project and you, you kind of say, okay, like this is the scope of the project, the, uh, the risk that you're assuming regarding subsurface utilities could amount to, I don't know, $15 million. I'm just kind of throwing, throwing out numbers. That is a figure that a stakeholder can say, okay, I understand. But, but if we don't say that, if like there isn't like some sort of, I don't know if the right term is industry standard, but uh, but I'll use it for lack of a better term. But until we don't have that, I think it's going to be very difficult, even with regulation, to make stakeholders comply. What do you guys think? Well, hang on a second, David. Uh, just so you know, when I said regulation is generally written in blood or in finance, which means there's a reason why that regulation came out, because <laughs> someone died or someone got sued. Yeah. yeah. So. And, yeah, and, yeah, and someone yeah. said, if you say safety first, then you are killing safety. You must always say business first and integrate safety into business. Do you see? Wow. So, yes, we need to make more. it as. Yeah, so you, are, yeah. you, are, you are correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the law profession is doing very well in the uh, construction industry. True. As we all know, <laughs> at the end, it's always. A, yeah. yeah I think okay. We just so I, I regret to keep on going, David. Week. So let's keep on going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, so we don't so, we don't get sued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were saying, or feel? Uh, well, you know. So after the the entire study, and, and you know, we we've identified all the causes, the root causes, and the or the direct causes. Mm -hmm. What's that next step from that actual? from that study, uh, like, are we going to shelve it or are we actually going to start taking it, road showing it and going to every state and going here, we have a, a concept, we have a plan, we've actually done some investigation. What is that next step for you with that, uh, with that study? So it's a, a continuous improvement, right? And continuous improvement never ends. So we have to build on this knowledge. We have to build on this uh, knowledge and continue doing research and but again, the problem with research, if no one really, and this is a real problem with academia, uh, many researchers, they do a lot of good research, but some of these research are theoretical, not practical. Plus, if it's practical, the problem, no one reads them. Uh, so, so we need to educate. We need to continue educate the industry stakeholders about the importance of these small steps because the improvement will not come overnight. It's step over step, Right. So I think, again, the only way we can do it right now, at least for, uh, for us, like I'm, I'm lucky because I'm having Lewis uh, uh, working with me. So Lewis can do something, and he is actually doing something, uh, a lot of important uh, thing within the North Carolina 811 system to improve the overall system. From my side, because I'm, I have no authority at all, <laughs> so the only thing I can do is just to educate, talk about this topic. And hoping someone will listen, someone uh, with authority will help uh, doing these small changes at a time. We don't need to do a whole change because this 
no one will accept it. Everyone will say, no, we will not do these these uh, these huge changes. But one step at a time is, is fine. One step at a time is fine. So that really takes us into that next thing of the private locates. Now, you said you also started looking at the private locators and yes. studying the private locate system. How does that interconnect with the one call and how do we take that forward? Okay. So this is something we, uh, Louis and I discuss. We say, okay, here in North Carolina, for example, we have private locating firms. And the mission of one call system is to prevent damages. So how it's possible to utilize the private locating firms to reduce damages? And this is a valid question for sure. Uh, so we did a small study last year. And the main idea, we start to understand the scope, who hired the private locating firms and at what stage. And this could help in the future, North Carolina eight one one communicate the benefits, the use of private uh, uh, locating firms to its customer, to whoever called them. They may tell them, okay, you should call private locating firm. For so I'm going to ask you a question. These private locating firms are not sanctioned by the public utilities. They do not have the public utilities uh, records. No. They are only there for the private infrastructure, or they're actually doing a little bit of both. They're, they're this locating is, the... Yeah. This is good. This is a very good question. So, yes, they don't have. So how they? it's possible for them to get the records, right? Because they don't have it. So because of that, some of them, they use Winkle system. <laughs> so again, we're, we're back on the exactly. merry-go-round. Oh, <laughs> so they place tickets with Winkle system, and, they, uh, and Winkle system will come and at least mark the outside of their whatever their area, right? Oh, that's and fantastic. based on these marks, they will have a good idea about what's going on, what entered to their area. Then that's they start using cool. their tools. So because of that, when we asked them, do you use, do you utilize one call system? And some, many of them, they said, yes. They'll actually admit that. <laughs> yes, they say, yeah, we are using it. And unfortunately, I even read reports uh, from utility, private utility firms, and they claim they achieved quality level B through one call system. Nope. Which is no way, right? No way. No. Because you need to have an engineer, uh, a professional who stamp, who who, inter uh, who look at the results. And unfortunately, anything through one call system, there's no engineer. And you don't know who you know, did the mark. And don't so even get me going on that because I am so like, <laughs> when I hear that, I get so mad. I'm going, there's a whole aspect of judgment. And that's what you are getting you within yes. If you're going to be getting quality, then that's that's the other side, the suicide. But let's really focus on that on the private side here. Sorry, I, I you know when when I hear that, I, I get so mad, and I, I I want to thank Jim Onspach as well for really instilling that in me that that yeah. whole what you are paying for is the judgment of the engineer. You know, does this make sense? Have yeah. I actually there? Would this practice of installation actually make sense in this area? What geophysical tools were used? Combining all those different things together and mm -hmm. uh, understanding when the, what the placement was, what type of placement, and what was its uh, relative distance to another utility, and so on and so forth. Really, uh, <laughs> but, so this is and this is a huge issue because we asked some of them, "Do you need to have a professional, a register professional, to get quality level D or B or something?" Some of them say, "No, we don't need." So this indicates that there is even lack of education and outreach about Sue itself. So people, they don't know Sue. Even people who are working in the industry and they have their own private locating firms, they don't. They have no idea about what uh, requirements uh, under Sue. Again, so this is an issue that must be addressed by the industry through education. So how, how about the, uh, the skirting of the line when they're not calling it Sue, but they're calling it some? Here, I'm doing subsurfacing mapping, so it's okay. I, I, can, yeah. I can put quality level on this, but it's not Sue, it's, it's some. What do yeah, we yeah. <laughs> not good, not good by, yeah, by all means. So we asked them, one of the questions that we asked them, who hired you? Like as private locating firms, who hire you uh, uh, to do the job? So mostly is by uh, architectural engineering firms, which makes sense, and followed by general contractors. These are the uh, their markets. So starting with architectural engineering firms, which is good. This meaning these firms that hire private locating firms, they really understand. But again, we're going to ask who's going to pay for the service, the owner, whoever hired 
the architectural engineering firm. So that meaning also the, the, the project owner, they really understand the importance of the uh, overall uh, uh, managing underground. Dr. Ahmed, I'm going to ask you one question just tied to that. Yes. Do you think the AEC from the architectural engineering firms are actually thinking that they're absolving themselves of liability by hiring the private locator as a uh, pass down or a pass yes. through? And this is good. And this is something I, I, I'm going to have a small article in Damage Prevention uh, magazine next, uh, next month about liability, about this. So this is, should be, any liability should be addressed in the contract. So all based on the contract language between the owner and, uh, and the architectural engineering firm. Start from the owner. The owner should tell the architectural engineering firm, while you are doing uh, whatever the design for me, you need to address the utility conflict because I don't want to spend a lot of time, a lot of money during the construction phase. So this is the first step. Then the architectural engineering firm should, if they have some uh, qualified team in-house, that's fine. If not, they should hire uh, a private locating firm. Again, through a contract, they should shift the risk, right? It's all about shifting risk uh, to, the, uh, to the private locating firms. But however, uh, shifting risk to uh, an unqualified entity is not a good practice. So if you're going to shift this risk liability to a, a, a private locating firms, you should you should hire a qualified locating firm. Otherwise, you will get in trouble, a lot of troubles, right? Sorry, have you seen the language from private locating firms on their on their documentation saying I, that I, they I, take I, no I responsibility? Not. That they do not take any responsibility for items not found, and then they've done best effort in terms of uh, geophysical locating and and yeah, so on so, and so forth. <laughs> so based on the duty of care, yeah, they they should do it best uh, up to like they should do it uh, best on their best knowledge. That's fine, but still, are they qualified or not? So if you hire a non-qualified firm, yes, uh, uh, best knowledge is not that good, right? But if you hire a qualified locating firms, their best knowledge will be good, will be good enough to avoid utility conflict during construction. Sorry, what do we consider a qualified firm in the U.S.? I know that's another contention. Like, do, is it because they've gone through uh, the uh, the Sioux School from ASC UESI? Have they gone through, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, the Staking University out of Michigan? Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> So this is a good question. Another good. This is all good. This is a very good discussion. What is considered a qualification? A good qualified uh, firm. Again, it's based on their pre uh, previous, maybe based on their previous work, uh, plus based on their team. Who, what, what kind of individual they are hired? What are their resume? What their experience? Uh, so it's not about education because experience is is much. Ha, has a lot of weight more than education, to be honest. Experience, number one, yes, certification is good, then uh, education. Uh, by education, I mean uh, college, uh, something, a, col a, col a college degree. So experience. So if we are try to hire, procure a qualified team, a qualified entity, we need to look at their previous work plus their team. Who going to work on my project? I need to know them. I need to see their CVs to be sure they are qualified. And this is all could be done through a good uh, procurement uh, process, I think. Uh, is that just me or is that uh, both of us? Can you hear me, no, David? I think, uh, yeah, I think okay. uh, we've lost. The... Oh, hang on. Uh, sorry, Dr. Ahmed, we, we, we lost, lost you for a minute there. 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me repeat myself. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to qualification, uh, the most important thing about qualification is two things, I think the previous experience and the uh, the team that will do the job. And this is something the owner or the architectural engineering firm, they can ask for. They they tell them, okay, if you want me to hire you for this job, give me what you did, the last 10 job you did and how you did on them. Was good enough, not good enough? Plus, who going to do this job for me? I need to see their CVs. So this is a, a procurement method and that should be used to hire a qualified uh, private locating firms is not about education. I think it's uh, the experience, the team that will we, that will work on the job uh, will carry more weight than education. In this in this case, is that how great your legal department is at your company, or is that a, a QBS system? <laughs> QBS. Well, what's the QBS exactly? 
qualified based selection. Based selection, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, no, qualified based selection. So all about qualifications. Because if you're going to hire a qualified team, there will be trusts, a lot of trusts. You're going to trust on them. They will communicate to you. So a qualification is more important than a legal team, I believe, in this case. I guess. I'm not sure. No, that's, that's Ahmed, interesting. I, I, and yes. I got to ask you, uh, we, have, we have two last questions for every final episode. Okay. Oh, hang on, David. I want to hear yeah. about his Sioux study because I know that he's also getting into the Sioux realm right now. Correct. So I uh, think I, I I think then we'll we'll need to do another episode. Because <laughs> I, I feel, Ahmed, uh, I feel sorry, that's, that's going to have to be a must. Are you actually you're now actually transforming and you're evolving and going to be doing a Sioux study as well? And yes, yes we, we are trying about... to better okay. understand the Sioux scope, like what's scope of work, and we currently also. We're working to compare between uh, the DOT uh, scope of work when it's come hiring a Sioux firm here in Michigan and Colorado, for example. We are trying That's to. That's a great comparison. No, very good. Yeah. Excellent. No, this is and you're right, David. We will need another. We definitely need another <laughs> session with uh, Dr. I, th uh, I think Bayati. this has been one yeah. of the most uh, uh, interesting episodes. Because we're, we'd be, we're, we, I think we're like it's one of these episodes with, where we've both covered kind of what's happening in kind of the late phases of the construction project life cycle, and we've also talked about the uh, the impact of doing it right at the initial phases. David, I, I don't want going... this to end. I, uh, it's it's such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it really I have so many more questions and so many more. Uh, comments which I can make right now, but don't cut me off. <laughs> Let's keep on going. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we need to we need to stick to the schedule, Phil. Unfortunately, okay. unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, so yeah. So so uh, uh, Ahmed, and if you would have to summarize in a sentence or two, um, what you think are the key takeaways? from your work that the industry can learn from, what would it be? It's a shared responsibility. Everyone should, we should all sit down together and talk about the current challenges as a one community. And we have to come up with the best possible solution in the, in the short uh, run, like within one year, what we can do within one year and what we should plan to do within next 10 years to improve the overall. Because we understand some some solution will take a lot of time to be implemented. That's fine. But there are a few things could be done to improve the overall process. And these small things are not hard. As a, We can do it within one year. But we need all to sit down together, discuss them, and come up and come up with a plan to implement these solutions. It's I a shared response. I could not agree more. I, could not, I think that's a type of... Uh, uh, the type of statements that we back definitely as a the podcast and definitely as an organization. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and last question, and I think the, mo the most important question, who do you think should be our next guest on the podcast? There is a lot of experts in the field. They, you should, you should, you should have interviewed them, but we should have, you should have, I think one of the, one of one from the one call system, one of the director of one call system, so they can tell you exactly what's going on uh, within this world. So you need How to do some introduction North after Carolina? the. I will. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask him, and uh, I think he will be will be happy to do it. Excellent. Okay, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna we've got that recorded. So now, uh, let me now let me ask, to... uh, add something if possible. Is that possible? Add one sure, thing. Sure, of course, of course. There's something as is really bothering me, but I have to say it uh, here. Uh, one of your interviews, I believe the last one, they talk about societal damages, and they say it's 20, 29 times 29. the actual. Yeah, yeah. And let yeah. me tell you something. I, I'm not against the study, but as Doc said, there's a limitation with every and each study. This is study uh, based on a very small size. And one of the values wa was a, a real outlier, like one time, 100 something. So what I want to say, and unfortunately, CGA also uh, adopted this number, but this number is not accurate based on my review. And 
So I think, I, I'm not sure, it's maybe 50, maybe 20, maybe 10, but it's not 29, because this study come with huge limitations. Implications. Yeah. yeah, and we should, we should uh, understand that. That's it. No, that's... Yeah. Just on that topic alone, you've you've opened up a can of worms. Yeah, but yeah. I we, like, we need to do. We need to have another hour of a podcast yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with um, that. Yeah, uh, Ahmed, I'd like to first of all thank you for spending time with us today and uh, giving some real key insights uh, into what's happening in in the industry. Uh, lots, lots to learn from. I think there's lots of. Uh, uh, we need to do as an industry a lot around education. There's a lot that we need to do there. Uh, and it's great to have you a part of that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for this great uh, conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, you know, just to say I've, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you. And I look forward to many more conversations with you, even off of the podcast. Cause I well, we're going to have, learn from we're gonna have you on again. I'm pretty yeah. sure. That's, uh, that's gonna happen okay Fantastic. so thank you very much have a great day you too